Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains, the curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. All right, we have with us today George Weigel. He is a man who, as the cliche goes, uh, needs, needs no introduction to First Things readers or to audiences far beyond. So let me mention his recent book, which we did cover in uh, the first half of it in a podcast a couple of months ago, The Irony of Modern Catholic History, How the Church Rediscovered Itself and Challenged the Modern World to Reform. Today's subject is something more immediate, uh, which took place actually last week. Uh, It is really part of a series of commentaries that George has written in First Things, in National Review, Catholic World Report, and even the New York Post on the whole Cardinal Pell case, which finally seems to have reached, at least in in the individual's case, uh, a final resolution, uh, a decision that came down last week in Australia. And the time is ripe, I believe, for a thorough review of the whole affair that would be worthwhile for our listeners. Thank you for joining us, George. Thanks, Mark. Good to be with you again. So why don't you tell us, uh, tell our listeners, what did happen last week as we're recording today? Uh, What happened on uh, Tuesday of Holy Week, Australia time, Monday night here in the United States, was that the highest, the High Court of Australia, the highest judicial authority in the country, the equivalent of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, rendered a seven to zero decision quashing the convictions of Cardinal Pell, uh, entering a verdict of acquittal on the charges against him, and in the course of issuing that decision, simply eviscerated the case that both the prosecution had made over the previous two years and that two judges on an appellate panel of the Supreme Court of the state of Victoria had rendered last August upholding the conviction. I'm not an expert on legal language, particularly in Australia, but when, if the U.S. Supreme Court were to say to, you know, the Eighth Circuit Court, uh, your argument is spurious, I think we would say that was a pretty good smackdown. And that's one of the adjectives that the High Court of Australia used to describe the really quite uh, asinine legal reasoning that had kept Cardinal Pell uh, in jail. Uh, So that's, in short, what happened. 
what has happened since then is the argument continues. Uh, finally, people in Australia are beginning to uh, write, blog, uh, comment in various ways uh, about the question you raised. How, how could any of this have happened? Uh, there have been public calls for the two judges who rendered that incomprehensible appellate decision last August to resign on the theory that if you got this so wrong, you might get a whole lot of other things wrong. And there has begun to be, finally, some serious pushback against uh, what seems to be, at best, an incompetent and, at worst, a corrupt police department in the state of Victoria, and against the national broadcaster, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which has been conducting a vendetta against Cardinal Pell for the past decade. So there's a lot still going on. There are a lot of moving parts uh, in this uh, argument. But the important point is uh, an innocent man has been freed, uh, and the Australian criminal justice system finally, at, at the, in the bottom of the ninth inning, there, there was no appeal beyond this, uh, finally got it right. Uh, George, there isn't any debate, any ongoing debate about the guilt of... Cardinal Pell is there. I mean, the court said, I mean, again, I don't, I don't know the Australian system, but the, the, the court didn't just vacate the guilty decision. They said, you are acquitted. I think they used the language. You are acquitted. You are, you are innocent. Uh, no one's still pushing the question. Well, you would, you wish that that were the case, but uh, the, the prime minister of the state of Victoria um, made an inane comment after the high court decision saying that whatever the high court said, he still believes victims of sexual abuse or people who claim they're victims of sexual abuse. Um, some of the commentariat in Australia um, is inanely arguing that the cardinal was uh, released on a legal technicality. This is pure nonsense. Uh, and ABC, the aforementioned national broadcaster, the equivalent of PBS here in the United States, it just put out uh, in the last uh, couple of days a long defense of its uh, conduct in the in the Pell thing, uh, which which included you know, more misinformation. Um, uh, at some point, Mark, I'm going to write something about the backstory to this, which is quite interesting. It takes you into the weeds of Australian labor union politics in the 1950s. It takes you into the weeds of Catholic church politics in the 1960s. But it is also um, uh, a story that has to be told because the the analogy I was using uh, for the past several years, this is Australia's Dreyfus case, uh, is entirely accurate. This could only have happened because of an atmosphere of, uh, in this case, anti-Catholic bias rather than anti-Semitism, of really rancid politics where people were settling political scores and unjustly condemning an innocent man in the course of that, uh, a media brawl uh, in which a lot of people did not um, show themselves uh, very well. Um, 
the only attack, the only difference in this is that, of course, in the Dreyfus affair, the attack on Captain Dreyfus came from the royalist, monarchist, uh, hard right in France. And the attack on Cardinal Pell came from the hyper-secularist, hard left uh, in Australia. That, that's, that's a difference that needs to be acknowledged. But the terms in which this was conducted, the personal vilification, the creation of an atmosphere in which it was, I think, virtually impossible to impanel an unbiased uh, jury, are very similar to what was going on in France uh, in the late 19th century. And there's a lot of conjuring with that that remains to be done in Australia. You, you suggested a, a, a distant past here when you said that the ABC really has a 10-year history of going after Cardinal Pell, uh, which apparently, I mean, originated with nothing to do with any criminal charges against him. What did they have against him starting 10 years ago? Well, it may go back even longer than that. Um, George Pell has been a sign of contradiction in Australian public life uh, since he became the Archbishop of Melbourne in the late uh, 1990s. He refused to truckle to political correctness, whether the issue was the LGBTQ insurgency, the nature of marriage, climate change, or other popular causes on the left. He was, above all, an Orthodox Christian who preached the gospel without compromise, with compassion, but also without compromise, in a, in a social environment in which um, uh, secularism has become a very aggressive force. Indeed. So the question of ABC, uh, I think, you know, leads us into a broader uh, problem throughout the, the Western world. I mean, there's, first of all, there's the basic question of what, what are governments doing in the broadcasting business anyway? Um, this is just not a good idea. Uh, in Poland, for example, uh, Polish national TV for years was controlled by the political left. Now it's controlled by the political right. I had said to my friends who were involved in the current Polish government, uh, look, the really conservative answer to this, the true conservative answer, the Burkean conservative answer, is get the government out of the broadcasting business. Government has no real uh, role in, uh, in, in, uh, in national broadcasting. But in many places throughout the world, uh, and certainly in Australia, uh, the ghost of Antonio Gramsci, the Italian communist theorist who argued for the long march through the cultural institutions as the way to affect the triumph of the left, uh, hovers over the whole thing. I, I really think that um, uh, Lenin will be spinning in his mummy here uh, in Red Square, but Gramsci was the most successful communist theorist of the 20th century. Uh, what what Lenin built doesn't exist anymore. What Gramsci called for exists all over the Western world, and ABC is a reflection of that. Uh, now, you have to add to the mix there uh, a kind of traditional anti-Catholic bias, 
that goes back to English-Irish animosities and the settlement of Australia and, and all the rest of that. But in in the you know in the modern period, what you've got is a kind of Gramscian takeover of the institutions of culture throughout Australia, and in the state of Victoria, where all of this was centered in Melbourne and, and the Melbourne suburbs, uh, you've got a political and cultural situation that one senior Australian political figure said to me four months ago, I guess makes California look like Alabama. That's probably an exaggeration. (laughs) We don't want to take anything away from California here. But um, it's pretty raw. And uh, now there's one more factor here that that I think really does need to be brought into the mix. Uh, Prior to George Pell becoming the Archbishop of Melbourne, in the late 1990s. The Catholic Church in Australia, it is now clear, did a miserable job, to put it gently, of dealing with clergy sexual abuse. That was particularly true of the man whom uh, Pell succeeded as Archbishop of Melbourne, a man named Frank Little. Now, the irony in all of this is that it was Pell who created the first effective response of the church to these problems, who deposed dozens of misbehaving clergy, who created the template for the Australian church's address to claims of clerical sexual abuse and the the compensation and and help of, of victims. So why did everybody turn on him if he's the good guy in this? Well, because of all of these other reasons, the political correctness problem, the Orthodox Christianity problem. These people could not imagine that a guy with that profile could have been the hero on the sexual abuse issue. He had to have been the bad guy. That's the kind of Dreyfus-like assumption that landed George Pell in prison for 405 days. Right. And it leads people, that kind of context helps explain something like the prime minister uh, coming up with the believe victims uh, insistence, which of course suspends all of our notions of due process. And one thing you point out in one of your pieces on the case was as it got into the court was the degree to which the only question was the quote credibility of the accuser not the facts is the accuser credible that that as you put it there's no way to mount a defense against that resorting to the facts that was one of the points raised by the dissenting Justice of the Victoria Supreme Court, Justice Mark Weinberg, last August in uh, a 230-page dissent that I, I think is now can generally be called a historic document. Justice Weinberg, um, interestingly enough, if you look at the video of that uh, pellet decision last August, refused to look at his two colleagues. He couldn't even bear to look at them. 
Uh, one of them had zero criminal law experience uh, and, in fact, had never tried a case in court. Uh, the other was a known uh, purveyor of uh, left-wing political opinions and, and, and espouser of left-wing political causes. Weinberg's dissent uh, was a masterpiece of legal reasoning. It was clearly written to send a signal to the high court, which was already nervous about criminal law procedure in Victoria. Look, this is a serious problem, and we are going to look bad as a country if you guys don't fix this. I tried to fix it, but I was dealing with two um, colleagues who, who simply couldn't get it. Uh, the high court decision itself uh, accepted uh, Weinberg's uh, dissenting opinion that to say that the only relevant factor is is the alleged credibility of a complainant is to substitute sentimentality for legal reasoning. That's not a legal argument. That's a sentiment. And if you substitute sentiment for legal reasoning and make what should be the beginning of a chain of legal reasoning, is this person credible or not? The only point along the line, if you make it the, not only the beginning, but the end and every point in the middle, it's exactly what you say. There is no defense possible. You can say everything you want. You can say, as the Cardinals defense team made clear, this could not possibly have happened within the time frame alleged and in the circumstances alleged. It doesn't make any difference. So that's that's a real issue going forward. Um, there is uh, there are certain things in the in the law that are peculiar at least to the state of Victoria, may, they may apply in other jurisdictions, I just don't know, that, that do need to be examined here. In Victoria, a complaint of uh, sexual abuse can be brought to trial simply on the allegation. No evidence, no corroboration. If the Office of Public Prosecutions, which uh, functions something like a grand jury in the United States, or more like a district attorney, I suppose, uh, believes a complainant, they can bring that charge to what is called a committal hearing in which a magistrate who functions like a one-person grand jury decides whether this is going to go to trial or not. And again, there need be no corroboration or physical evidence that, that such and such ever happened. This is seriously problematic. Um, it's seriously problematic. The other thing that has only come to light since the high court decision is that the complainant in Cardinal Pell's case had a history of psychiatric problems that the jury was not uh, told about. Uh, because in, in cases of sexual misconduct in the state of Victoria, uh, those kinds of records are not um, allowed as evidence. Now, that was a procedural uh, regulation adopted to spare women who claimed that they had been raped from being cross-examined on their entire sexual history and psychiatric history and whatnot. So the intention was a, was a decent intention. But in these cases of so-called historic sexual abuse, 
when there are all sorts of factors, psychiatric, financial, political, and whatnot in play. Um, that was a serious mistake. Um, there also seems to have been uh, a past record of criminal activity uh, on the part of the complainant, and that was not brought before the jury. Do we know if that complainant received a settlement from the church? No, not not that I'm aware of, um, because he simply hadn't come forward for over 20 years um, um, until uh, three or four years ago, when he came forward as the result of a fishing expedition by the Victoria Police, who were taking ads out in the newspapers, saying, anybody know of any uh, bad things that happened in the Cathedral of Melbourne uh, in the past. In other words, there was a trolling for complaints before there was any there were any allegations of complaints. Now that is an invitation to corruption. It's an invitation to corruption. So um, uh, this is uh, this is uh, I, I think the post High Court commentary in in Australia has tended to focus on uh, police incompetence, prosecutorial incompetence. Uh, I did not watch the uh, full high court hearing uh, in March, but I'm told by those who did that the prosecutor was, was simply demolished by, by the seven justices of the high court. So there's, there's been a lot of, uh, chatter in Australia about not only police incompetence, but, you know, in, in bringing forward a case for which there was no evidence, prosecut- prosecutorial, uh, incompetence for, uh, resting the case solely on, on complaint credibility. But I think the deeper questions have to do with corruption here. Was this process not simply incompetent, but corrupt? Uh, if it was corrupt, why was it corrupt? Who was behind the corruption? Does the corruption stop in Australia, or does it extend to Italy, where Cardinal Pell was making lots of people nervous because he was finally getting to the nub of some uh, Vatican financial uh, issues? The, these are all questions that remain to my mind, quite open now that the fundamental question, was this man guilty of these horrible acts, has been definitively settled. No, he was not. Uh, so there's a lot uh, there's a lot of debris uh, all over the place that remains to be sorted through and sorted out. And, and one thing that we have to keep in mind is that this was not... Uh, when when you look at the circumstances, this wasn't a judgment call. It was physically impossible for the allegations to be true, even on the basis of the complainant's own account of what actually happened. If you look back at the case, the the actual situation, the circumstances where it was supposed to take place, when it was supposed to take place, this was not some he said he said kind of uh, kind of case. And we would add to this that it was unanimous. I mean, not that, I mean, this was a seven to nothing acquittal. There, there, there was no doubt in anyone's mind about the Cardinal's innocence at this point. And when we're 
going so clearly against every rational, objective, legal judgment. And we look at what happened, as you, as you say, there was, there was some stuff going on here and we've got to root it out because George, we know if people don't pay a price of some kind for this kind of long-term misbehavior, like what we see in the, in the broadcasting, if they don't pay a price, they're going to do it again. Of course. Um, now, that's why I, in the column I wrote in First Things in that Catholic World Report piece, which you referenced, I have uh, suggested that the only way to get at this, both at the, at the level of uh, uh, the state of Victoria and, and ABC, the national broadcaster, is a federal parliamentary inquiry. The politics of the state of Victoria are such that they are not going to be self-healing. Uh, uh, the politics, the police, the, the judicial system are completely controlled by the people who brought this about. To, so to look uh, to the Victoria state political system to sort this out is is not um, uh, not a realistic uh, thing to do. So the federal parliament, Australia has a federal system like we do. Uh, I think ought to instigate an inquiry into um, police incompetence and corruption in Victoria. And I think the federal parliament in Australia ought to uh, initiate an inquiry into how it is that the taxpayer-funded national broadcaster can conduct a campaign of defamation of character against an Australian citizen without consequence. That that's a serious question. We we all complain about um, political bias in uh, PBS and NPR here, and frankly, rightly so. But they look like you know the paragons of of uh, balance and, and fair coverage compared to ABC. This was a systematic campaign of defamation of character. It continued up to and including the time when the high court was decide, making its decision. ABC was broadcasting an hour and a half long special that was nothing but a personal attack against Cardinal Pell with more spurious charges, charges that had been rejected before, presented as if they were new. This is unconscionable. And if the federal parliament uh, in Canberra cannot bring itself to address this, uh, then I think you know one has to say that there are serious democracy deficit issues in Australia still, despite the act, uh, the, the, the judgment of the high court. Let, let me ask you this, George. As the character assassinations were proceeding, even before this case, uh, two questions. One, did the church in, 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 as a whole or in part try to come to Cardinal Pell's defense? And second, now that it's all his case is over. Does the church have any proper role in seeing that the right accounting takes place? To the latter question, I would say that's up to the political leaders of Australia, Catholic and otherwise. 
there are men and women of integrity and honor who know that something is seriously wrong here. They should get over their fear of ABC or their caution about ABC and get on with the job of cleaning that up. The same applies to uh, the condition of criminal law in the state of Australia and the state of Victoria, excuse me. Um, the church in Australia has not developed the kind of capacities for self-defense that the church in the United States has done. Uh, it's generally uh, rather weak in, it, in its response to this aggressive secularism. I mean, the kind of campaign that was conducted here against the uh, unacceptable provisions of Obamacare uh, by the Catholic Church in the United States is simply inconceivable in Australia. They need to develop those antibodies quickly. The statement by the president of the Australian Bishops' Conference, Archbishop Mark Coleridge of Brisbane, after the High Court decision was lame in the extreme. The statement by Archbishop Anthony Fisher, Cardinal Pell's successor as Archbishop of Sydney, was much better. But as a whole, the bishops of Australia uh, need to learn, in my judgment, and I speak of you know, many of these men are friends, uh, needs to learn how to counterpunch and, and needs to know how to go on the evangelical offensive because the only thing that is going to finally uh, address this problem of aggressive secularism is the effective proclamation of the gospel. Uh, you can't just keep saying, no, we don't mean this, do this, we don't mean that, we don't mean the other thing. You need to go out and, and actually proclaim what um, uh, what the church believes and, and explain why it believes that. Now, there's going to be some natural hesitation to do that because that's what George Pell did as Archbishop of Melbourne and Archbishop of Sydney, and, and people see where that got him. But, um, you know, this morning, as we were on this day we're, we're recording this, you know, the church uh, read in the Acts of the Apostles about uh, the apostles speaking boldly and with frankness about the truth that uh, Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead. Uh, that boldness and frankness is very much uh, necessary at all times and places in, in the history of the church. It's especially necessary in Australia right now. Indeed. Last question, George. How is Cardinal Pell doing? Uh, we had a long talk on Holy Saturday morning, our time here in the U.S., Holy Saturday night in Australia, right before Easter. He's in robust form. He's uh, was in fine fettle and very good humor, uh, bears no animus towards his accuser, is rightly concerned about ABC and the Victoria situation. Uh, but he's going to get on with his life and get on with his service to the church, and I'm delighted that he's now going to be able to do so. He's immensely grateful, Mark, I should say, to all of our listeners, to all of those around the world who have been supportive. He, as I mentioned a moment ago, was in prison for 405 days. He received 4,000 letters in that period from around the world, um, and he's very, very grateful for the ocean of prayer that was bearing him up during this trial, uh, which he endured as a genuine Christian and as a, as a real priest.
Well, to all the church leaders who hesitate to, to, to evangelize the, the gospel, he should be an example to all of them. So thank you. Thank you, George Weigel. Thank you, Mark. Good to be with you again. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.